Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to have you here today. Welcome to those of you that are streaming with us online. You know, I know the, the past 12, 14, 15 months has been absolutely crazy. Uh, maybe re-engaging online or coming here has been kind of a challenge to you, but I want you to know we appreciate every week that you tune in with us or you join us. And, and you're here, if this is your first time here, you're here at a good time because we're in a series right now that, that's really been an encouragement to us because we're talking about how do we have joy and how do we have happiness in our life, especially when you look at the way the world is. You know, most of the information that comes to us today is negative. Most everything we read is negative. So people want to know, how can I have joy? How can I have happiness despite what's going on all around me? So what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And if anybody had a reason to be upset in life or angry or bitter or whatever, it was Paul. Because Paul's in prison while he's writing this letter. Yet he tells us how we can have joy and how we can have happiness in our life. And so the first week we talked about healthy relationships, right? If our relationships are healthy, then we're going to be happy. And we learned that we have to be willing to lay down our lives for other people. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a martyr, but you've got to be willing to give up your preferences and your desires and maybe what's best for you for the sake of someone else. And then the second week on Mother's Day, we looked at our circumstances. And we learned that how we go through those circumstances is going to impact believers, but it's also going to impact people who don't have a relationship with Christ. And then we talked about those four types of people, you know, that we're going to have in life. They're going to try to steal our joy and to steal our happiness and how we have to handle that. But we ended that week looking at that statement that Paul made. Paul said, for to me, living means living for Christ. And so we just put a blank on the end of that. For to me, living means blank. And however you fill in that blank is going to determine how much joy and happiness you have in life. And then last week, Matt talked about conflict. And, and the best way to resolve conflict in our lives is to be humble. It's, it's that simple. If we don't learn humility, we're not going to experience joy and happiness in life. And so today we're going to continue in, in chapter 2. And I want to look at verses 12 through 18. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it and then we'll go back through and we'll kind of break this apart bit by bit. But Paul says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving, the, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life. 
pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. So this is a powerful passage because Paul really tells us common ways that we lose our joy and happiness, yet he also tells us how to overcome those things. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about today are heart issues. You know, one day our heart is happy, the next day it's miserable. And these are things we can do to protect our hearts so that our hearts are full of joy and happiness. But he starts out and he says, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Again, remember, he was with the church in Philippi because he helped plant that church, but now he's in prison. And his instructions to him, right off, he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Well, what does that mean? That means in our life that God has a part and we have a part to play in our spiritual growth. We've got a responsibility and God's got a responsibility in that, right? God's part is to work in us. And then our part is to show results from our salvation. Well, what does it mean to to work hard to show the results of your salvation? Now, notice it does not say to work for our salvation, okay? There's a big difference. We can't work for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. You can't even pay or buy your salvation. As a matter of fact, the scripture teaches the exact opposite, doesn't it? Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So we can't work for it. God works in the salvation that he gives us when we have Christ, and then we're supposed to produce results. Think about working out. Maybe you go to a gym and you work out. You lift weights, or maybe you walk in your neighborhood, or you you ride an exercise bike. What are you doing? You're building muscle, right? You've got a a bunch of muscles. They may not be, you know, in shape right now. They may be a little bit soft after COVID, but you're building the muscle in your body. You're not creating new muscle, right? You're not adding muscle to your body, new muscles. God's already given you those muscles. And what are you doing? You're working those out. You're building those. You're strengthening those. It's the same way with our salvation. We can't just go and get our salvation. It's something God gives us, but then we work out that salvation and we produce results. In other words, we don't waste the salvation that we've been given. How do you produce results from your salvation? I mean, when you're kind to people, when you do helpful things for people, when you tell people about Christ, when you maybe invite people to church or you serve or you give or you you minister to others, that's working out your salvation. That's using the salvation God's given you for good. So what we're going to look at today, these things we're going to look at, it's like every single week. They're going to be really, really easy to understand. Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. I can, you know, I got that. I understand what that means, but they're very difficult for us to do in our lives. Easy to understand, hard to do. Now, one of those uh, words that Paul used, and I want to get back to it, he talks about 
fear, right? Uh, With God, with a deep reverence and fear. What does that mean? Because a lot of people get hung up on that fear of God. Do I need to fear God because he's angry all the time with me? Do I need to fear God because, uh, you know, he doesn't like me or or he's an awful God? No, it's a reverent fear for God. That's kind of like an awe for God. Man, God is so amazing. God is so incredible. The problem is we don't live our lives with that reverent fear for God. A lot of times we live with fear of what's going on in the world around us, right? And we forget that God's in control and he's amazing and he's awesome and he hasn't fallen off of his throne. Instead, and instead of letting this reverent fear for God fill our lives, we fill our lives with earthly fear, right? We fear what's going to happen tomorrow. We fear what's going to happen today. And the deal with fear, it's one of the greatest blockers of happiness and joy in our life. When we become filled with with earthly fears, it keeps us from being joyful and happy, right? There's no room for joy and happiness in our heart if our heart is filled with fear. Fear comes in and joy and happiness go out. So we have to have this awe of who God is and realize we don't have anything in this world to fear. And that's what Paul's trying to get through to us because, again, fear will keep us from being joyful and happy. So one of the keys to learning to be happy and joyful is to eliminate your fear. The fears that are unfounded, the fears that aren't from God. Listen to Philippians 2.13 again. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Well, what does that mean? We are never alone when we have Christ. The Lord is always with us. God is with us all the time. No matter what we're going through today or tomorrow, next week, next month, God is with us. And if God is with us and he fills us up, there's really no place for fear in us. The other thing, God is not only in us, he's for us. Do you know God's got your best interest at heart? Listen to John 14 verses 18 and 20. And this is you know, just kind of confirms for us we're not alone. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. This is Jesus talking. I will come to you. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We're never alone, but one of our greatest fears is is we're alone, that we're doing life all by ourselves, that it's all up to us. Again, we don't rely on God the way that we should. And that's quite a promise from Jesus, isn't it? That that he's with us, he's in us, and he's around us. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, that's the 23rd Psalm, part of the 23rd Psalm, probably one of the most quoted scripture passages in the entire Bible. And and David's talking about how he's the shepherd for his sheep, but he's acknowledging that God is always the ultimate shepherd, that God is always with him. We've got to understand that we're never alone. 
If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, and I know not everybody is there yet, you still got questions on faith, or you don't really know where you stand or what you believe, but if you're a follower of Christ, have you ever kind of felt God just smile on your life? Or God give you assurance in your life? Or, you know, you get direction and, and you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you one way and you go that way and God just kind of reassures you? That's just Him telling us, I'm with you. I'm never going to abandon you. So I think the first thing we need to remember when it comes to joy is getting rid of that fear. And so learning number one, when I'm full of fear, I need to remember that God is with me and God is in me and God is for me. If we do that, then fear doesn't have a place to hide within our heart, knowing we're not going to go through life alone. So that's the first thing we can do to not lose joy and happiness. Here's something else Paul says. Let's move to and reread that 14 and 15. He said, do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Do we do that? Do your kids do everything without complaining and arguing? No. How about your husband? Does your husband do everything without complaining and arguing? Yes, one husband does. But the husband was the one that said that, right? Do, how about people at work? Do they do everything you ask them to do without complaining and arguing? No. How can you do everything without complaining and arguing? And I think the antidote to that is gratefulness. Being grateful and be appreciative in everything. And listen, this is a terrible habit to break. Because the truth is, we are negative by nature. We're conditioned by our culture to complain and argue. And you know what we tend to do? We tend to excuse ourselves, don't we? We excuse our own mistakes and our hang-ups and our faults, but we accuse other people of the things they do wrong in their life. We blame other people for problems in our life. And, and people will say, well, if I just had a different husband then I'd be happy, right? If I wasn't married, then I'd be happy. Or, or if I just had kids, then I'd be happy. Or if I didn't have kids, then I'd be happy. Some of the people watching online with their kids are like, amen, brother. That's exactly, exactly right. If my kids would just leave home, then I'd be happy or, or, or whatever. Let me ask you a question. Are there any complainers in your life? Yes, there are. So this week I said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down the, the, the types of complainers that I've encountered in my life and in my ministry. Now, fear not, I didn't write your specific name down. <laughs> but the categories, th think about it. You got whiners. You ever worked with a whiner? They get up whining. They get up complaining uh, about life and, and, and what's not good. They're just really good at, at complaining about everything. And then you've got people, the type of complainer that I would say is a victim. You know, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. They're, they're good at throwing pity parties, right? The victim. So you got whiners, you got victims. What about the pessimist, right? The glass is always empty, half empty. There's no use trying. Why should we even bother? Nothing's going to change. And then you got the perfectionist. 
You're all placing yourselves in these categories right now, right? You got the perfectionist. Nothing is ever quite right for the perfectionist. You know, things aren't just the way they should be. They're unpleasable. But the truth is, if we are really honest, we all fall into these four categories at different times of our lives. Sometimes we're the whiner. Sometimes we're the victim. Sometimes we're the pessimist. And sometimes we are the perfectionist. The truth is we're all complainers. And God says, I want you to do everything without complaining or arguing so nobody can criticize you. How can we do that? There's only one way, and that's to be grateful, to be thankful. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. People will ask me all the time, well, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. Right there it is. This is God's will for you. Right? Be thankful in all circumstances. Well, is that the only will? No, but that's the starting point. When we can get there, then God's going to show us whatever our next step is. Now, I want you to notice something about that passage. Uh, It says to be thankful in all circumstances, not to be thankful for all circumstances. It's a big difference, right? There's a lot of circumstances in life that we're not thankful for. We're not thankful for child abuse. We're not thankful for racism. We're not thankful for, uh, you know, hatefulness. We're not thankful for disease or death or sickness or cancer. We're not thankful for evildoers in this world. So there's a lot of things we're not thankful for, but God says, be thankful in all circumstances. So whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, God says that we need to be thankful. That's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? And the only way we can be thankful in all circumstances is because of the promise of Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Not everything's good. Not all of our circumstances are good, but in all things, God works for the good. So do you think you'd be more joyful and happier if you were more grateful? Sure you would be. So the second thing we need to do to not lose joy and happiness in life is learning number two, when I'm grateful, I will experience joy. When we're grateful and thankful, we're going to experience joy. There's no way around it. Let's continue. Philippians 2.15. The Lord says through Paul, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, we don't live in that world anymore, do we? Of course we do, right? That was written almost, what, 2,000 years ago. We still live in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Generations are still broken. Generations are still corrupt. Why? Human nature never changes. Everything changes around us fast, fast, fast all the time, but human nature doesn't change. 
So we still live in a crooked and perverse world. So what are we supposed to do? Those that have already said yes to Christ, that are following Christ, he says, shining like bright lights. What does that mean? We're to live a life with such integrity, with, with such purity, with a clear conscience. We're to live such an authentic life that we provide light to people who are in the dark. Light to point them to Christ. That's what that means. In other words, as the world gets darker and darker, we are to shine brighter and brighter. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 2 says, Joyful, that's what we're talking about, right? Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, Scott, what if my heart, you know, is not pure right now? What if my heart's not really, you know, clean right now. There's a solution to that. Psalm 32, 1. Here's that word again. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. When our disobedience, when our sin is forgiven, we get relief, right? We get joy. We get happiness. We all want relief. We all want to enjoy life. We want relief a relief from our pain, it comes from the forgiveness for our disobedience. It comes from the forgiveness of our sins. So something else we can do for joy and happiness, learning number three, I have to keep my mind clean. I got to keep my mind clean because what's in our mind is going to feed our heart, right? We want that heart to stay full of joy and happiness. Well, how do you keep your mind clean? Keep short accounts with God. Talk to God regularly. You know, last time I checked, none of us are perfect. We still do things we wish we wouldn't do. We say things we wish we wouldn't say. We pick up baggage and junk all throughout the week. Get rid of that stuff. Talk to God on a consistent basis. What freedom, what joy when our disobedience is forgiven. So we keep a clean mind. Here's something else. The very next verse, hold firmly to the word of life. What's he talking about? What's the word of life? It's the scripture. It's the Bible. It's God's word. Live by it. Well, Scott, I, I can't always remember it. Memorize it. Memorize part of it. And everybody gets all freaked out when you tell them that. Listen, if you're going through a problem, find a verse in the Bible that relates to your problem. Because I guarantee you there's one. Maybe you're struggling with fear. Find a verse on fear and the assurance that fear is not from God. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness or anger. Find a verse on bitterness or anger. Or you're struggling with unforgiveness. Find a verse on forgiveness. Or you're struggling with loving somebody. Find a verse on love. Because when you find that and you memorize that verse, guess what happens? When you start to get into that situation uh, where you're unloving, you're going to remember that verse and you're going to know what Christ wants you to do and what path he wants you to walk down. Why is that important? Psalm 119 verse 16. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Delight, happiness, joy. God's principles, in other words, 
His path for our life, it's going to make us happy when we follow his decrees. That's why we need to know how God wants us to live our lives. Psalm 119, verse 35 says, Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Joy, happiness is found in God's commands. Most of the time, we go down the wrong paths in life to try to find joy and happiness. God says, it's found in my commands. Now, this next learning, we've talked about this, and it's a point Paul has been trying to make throughout this letter. Uh, And he says, I didn't run the race in vain. So I didn't run the race in vain. He used his life. How did Paul use his life to serve others? Right? Once he found Jesus, invited Jesus into his life, he used his life to serve others. That's a model for us. So was Christ. Listen to learning number four. To experience true joy, I have to use my life to serve God by serving others. That's how we serve God, is by serving others. We can't physically see God or touch God and and minister to his immediate needs, but we serve God by serving his creation, by serving his children. I think Jesus said it best, Matthew 25, 40. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we're nice to people, when we're polite to people, when you leave a bigger tip on Sunday because most church people don't leave good tips, we do at Blue Ridge. When we serve other people, God says, it's like you're serving me. That is counter culture. That is not the way our culture operates because most people think happiness comes from serving ourselves, right? And doing for ourselves. That's why we don't make joy the goal because we become self-centered. We live our lives the way that Jesus says and the end result is we'll be joyful and happy in life. We, we, we think, you know, happiness comes from jobs and stuff and status and money. It, it doesn't. God wired each of us in such a way that true joy comes when we serve other people. Why did he do that? Because he made us like him. Because he made us exactly like him. So the more we give our lives away, the more we serve others, the happier we're going to be. And again, that flies in the face of what culture says. Listen to Mark 8.35. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Last thing I want to cover about joy, another thing that Paul modeled in his life, this is another one of those big heart issues. It's learning number five. And this is something we got to get ingrained into our mind. If we're going to serve God by serving other people, here's got to be our mentality. Learning number five, I have to practice service and generosity every day. We always have to be thinking, I'm going to practice service and generosity in my life. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, I didn't come to be served But I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Serve and give. Jesus says, that's why I came. Those two things, 
Service and generosity, service and giving to others or, or whatever is going to bring us more joy and happiness than anything else. It's that simple. That is the model of Jesus. God created us in a way that the more we give our life away or lose our life as it's worded, the more God's going to give us. The more God is going to bless us, the happier, the more joyful and fulfilled we're going to be in life. The end of this passage we're looking at, Paul said, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. An offering, a sacrifice, it means we should give and serve every area of our life when we can. So I'm going to ask you two really pointed questions. You don't have to answer them. It's just something to, to reflect on. But number one, where are you sacrificially serving other people on a regular basis? Where are you sacrificially serving others on a regular basis? There's plenty of opportunities, obviously, to serve here right? But there's plenty of opportunities to serve if you go to church somewhere else. There's plenty of opportunities to serve in the community. There's opportunities every week to serve somebody in your workplace. It doesn't mean it's got to be some huge thing, but how can I sacrificially serve other people on a consistent basis? Maybe you're the one that cheers them up all the time. Maybe that's your gift. You're the encourager in the office place or where you work on the job site. That's the way you can serve other people. And then the, the, the second question is this, is your heart growing more generous with age? That's a, that's a great question, especially when you get to my age, you got to look at your life and say, is my heart becoming more generous with age or is it becoming harder? Am I more faithful with my resources this year than I was last year and the year before that? If we ever get stuck in these two things that Jesus said is the reason he came to serve and to give, if we ever get stuck in service, if we ever get stuck in generosity, we're going to get stuck in happiness and we're going to get stuck in joy. Jesus said it's more blessed. What does the word blessed mean? Happy, joyful. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, monetary is one part of that, but that's not the only part, but that's all you ever hear, right? But when we give anything, give a kind word to someone, give them a helping hand, it's more blessed to give than receive. I, I know people that are the most ungenerous people in their life when it comes to money, when it comes to their time, and they're miserable. They may have everything from what we would say a worldly perspective, but they're miserable. And then I know some of the most generous people when it comes to their time and their resources and their effort and their energy, and they are the happiest, most joyful people you'll ever meet. And I think that's because Jesus said, our giving, our generosity reveals the condition of this, the condition that is the side the heart's on, right? The condition of the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Service is an attitude, right? Giving is an attitude. It's a discipline, and it keeps us 
again, from making life all about us. And that brings us more joy. So let me encourage you. God's with us, he's in us, and he's for us. The more grateful we are, the happier we're going to be. Grateful in all circumstances. Throughout the whole journey, we got to keep a clean mind. Just keep short accounts with God. Talk to God on a consistent basis. Blessed are those whose disobedience is forgiven. We serve God by serving other people, and we've got to have that mentality. I'm going to serve and give every single day. That's what I'm going to practice in my life. These are ways to keep our heart full of joy and fulfillment, to keep our heart clean and pure. But the truth is, you know, our hearts aren't clean and pure from the beginning, are they? The scripture talks about how our hearts are sometimes sick and self-centered. Our hearts are deceptive, the scripture says, deceitful. Our hearts can be cold. Why is that? Because of our sin, right? Sin is what makes our heart bad from the very beginning. But the good news is once we make up that decision of whether we're going to follow Christ or not, when we accept Christ and we invite him into our life, we get a new heart. That's his promise. That's where it starts. Then we can do these things to keep the heart full of joy and happiness. But the first thing we have to do is get that clean heart that new heart. Listen to the promise of God in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. So let me encourage you. If you've never taken that first step where you said yes to Jesus, why don't you do that today? When you invite Christ into your life, not only do you just get an eternal home in heaven. That's great. We're going to live forever with God. We get forgiveness of those sins. And that verse we looked at today, we're blessed, we're happy, we're joyful when our disobedience is forgiven. But then not only that, we get a purpose for living today. We model what Jesus did and we stay fulfilled and happy. So let me encourage you. I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. And if you've never done that and you want to do it today, today can be your day. Let's pray together. God, first of all, thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much for the wisdom that we need to cling to your word. Because it keeps our path straight. It reminds us of what you say and not what the world says or what our particular problem says. Lord, help us to remember we don't have anything to fear on this earth, that you conquered all fear. Lord, help us to be grateful, too, in our circumstances, not complaining and arguing. It's so difficult in the culture we live in. But help us to remember you call us to be thankful and grateful in everything, no matter what we have to endure. Maybe you're watching today or you're here and you're ready for that new heart. You're ready for God to take out that stony, stubborn heart. Why don't you just pray to receive Christ? You're not praying out loud. You're just praying from your heart. Just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. And I want forgiveness for my disobedience. I want to start a new life 
with you being the Lord of my life. So Jesus, as best I know how, I'm inviting you in and asking you to lead me and to make me the person that you want me to be. And maybe you're here and you would say, I'm already a follower of Christ. Why don't you just pray and ask the Lord to help you to recall the things we've talked about today. To show you opportunities throughout the week to practice service and generosity. To serve God by serving other people. God, we want people in our community and beyond to know who you are to have a relationship with your son, Jesus. Help us to be an instrument, to be a shining light in our community and beyond. God, we pray for the other churches in our area, that they would continue to shine bright so that people can know who you are. God, we know you've called us all to this community to reach different groups and different people. So we lift up those other churches to you right now. Lord, thank you for using us. Thank you for these folks, their willingness to come every week and and worship you and to hear from you. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Real quick, just uh, one quick thing. Summer growth groups, if you want to lead a summer growth group, you can still sign up to do that. Today, you can sign up on that electronic connection card. If, if you don't want to do that on the Church Center app or that QR code, you can find Matt in the lobby and tell him you're going to lead a summer group. I hope you get outside today. Enjoy the weather. It's going to, looks like it's going to be nice all week. I think winter is finally behind us, but I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us online and for being here in person. Have a great week.